Universities have been redesigning their campuses and classrooms to suit how people now want to teach and learn. So new spaces are accommodating remote and on-site students at the same time, and there's also a shift towards collaborative learning. This has been a gradual evolution, but the COVID pandemic has really propelled the change. Forced lockdowns and a disrupted flow of international students has forced universities to reassess how to attract the brightest minds, valuable partnerships and more revenue streams in a highly competitive landscape. So what makes an optimal university campus experience in the post-COVID era? We'll find out. I'm Rebecca Kent, host of this JLL Perspectives podcast. Joining me on this episode are David Bruce, Space Planning and Development Manager at Monash University. Hello, how are we? Very good. Thanks for joining us. And Dinesh Acharya, who heads the higher education consulting business at JLL. Hi, Rebecca. Dinesh, how is the university campus changing? I can think back to when I was in university and um, the the typical approach was, you know, there'd be a lot of uh, lectures or or classrooms where, you know, a facilitator would impart their knowledge to the class and you would take notes. And, um, you know, that's uh, what they call didactic learning. Uh, But increasingly, universities are trying to encourage much more active forms of learning where students are working in groups and learning from peers. And um, in addition, I would add that the past couple of years has seen uh, an evolution in terms of hybrid learning and virtual learning. So in the past couple of years, some universities have had to run some courses fully online or fully virtually, and um, they've had to adopt new technologies to be able to do that. And as we start to go back to the university campus and students start to uh, return, uh, we imagine that you're going to see um, hybrid learning environments where some students are present in the class and you'll need to have technologies to allow virtual or remote participants to be able to dial in and have an equitable experience. And I think that's going to be a really unique challenge for universities to deal with, which is, you know, how do you make sure that you're delivering value for students, whether they're on site or whether they're engaging virtually? Thanks, Dinesh. And David, how's Monash University addressing the trends that Dinesh has just outlined there? And why the things have changed you know, over time. It's moved from that, that culture of teaching to that culture of discovery and the spaces have reflected that. So we're no longer having that that didactic, someone's going to stand here and talk to you and you're going to listen and you're going to just sit in these offices and just do your work in isolation. It's moving to that discovery for our students and how that then continues in the journey of from a student to postgraduate to high degree research student to academic and how they discover and environments that will support the interaction around that discovery, the learning, the collaboration that basically enables that. I mean, some of the key ones you would say, for example, are our learning and teaching building, which is one of the jewels um, in Monash's asset portfolio. And the learning and teaching building is something where we've had visitors from um, basically from all over the world come to see this. Because a lot of people 
have over the last decade tried to work out what's this flipped classroom? What's a collaborative space? What does it mean? And I think we have truly hit a remarkable space in the learning and teaching building where these environments before COVID came up with a very collaborative area with technology that supported that collaboration. It was something that was also able to support the hybrid teaching environment where we could bring people online into these spaces as well and have that online hybrid in-person teaching become something that, that worked through the COVID period of time. So those are examples of, you know, things from a number of years ago. We've then evolved those spaces even more over time into collaborative lab learning environments. And uh, BLTB was another recent building that we have on the Clayton campus. And that's rolled through with a lot of refurbishments we've done in spaces too. That's in teaching. And workplace is now the new front line for where we are looking to redevelop and move away from what was, uh, you know, a lot of our assets were built in the 60s and other universities will be a lot older than us as well. And it's around that looking at the portfolio and moving away from reactive redevelopment to a very proactive way of looking at it and having a clear strategy around what workplace will be to support our workforce. Just to go back a second there, David, what's a flipped classroom? Yeah, the flipped classroom was this phrase that was used um, probably five to ten years ago, and that flipped classroom was something that no one really understood. And a flipped classroom was saying not having someone didactically talking to a bunch of students. So lecture theatres are the prime example of that. But a lot of the spaces that were smaller, that were meant to be collaborative, was just someone standing up in front of a group of people in rows of chairs or tables. And it was turning that didactic space into a truly collaborative space where we have cohorts of, say, six students on a table, and that cohort of six can work together while you have other cohorts of six in spaces that go out to a 30 capacity space of 60, a 90, 120, but they still keep that collaborative aspect and the technology in their supports our lecturers to be able to group people together and then group larger and larger and enable people to all talk and work through problem solving and collaboration in the way that they learn. Dinesh, you were involved in designing the learning and teaching building. What else do you consider as some of its outstanding features? Yeah, sure. Well, um, there are some amazing um, spaces from a learning and teaching perspective. I might just touch on one, but David, feel free to jump in and add, you know, um, but, you know, um, the learning in the round space is a really unique space that Monash University has, uh, which is an immersive, active learning environment um, where you have uh, a round room, a facilitator can effectively walk the floor, uh, tables radiate from a central uh, point, um, and all of the tables have writable surfaces with cameras above. And um, there are also, there's also the ability to display information. So on a central screen in the middle of the room, but also around the room, there's the ability to um, display information. So a facilitator can call up any group's work at any point in time, and that will allow students to learn from their peers. Um, so it's a non-hierarchical space. 
And um, I think the other point that I'd mention is Monash University is a unique global university. Uh, increasingly, there's this concept of the global classroom, you know, where coursework might be taught out of Australia, but students might be dialing in from overseas or vice versa. You might have coursework led out of Malaysia with students dialing in from overseas. So these types of classroom setups allow that global classroom and students to be connected from multiple locations. And David, I'm sure there's other spaces and unique zones that you might want to talk about as well. Yeah, I mean, look, what, what you hit on there was the hybrid workplace. I mean, sorry, the hybrid teaching place. And the fact that we have been doing that to enable us to get through COVID is one thing, but post-COVID, it has the ability to create that global teaching space where we can have the hybrid, but it's not just global, it's also about rural and been able to engage rural areas as much in our teaching as it is our local students. But the spaces, as we said, you know, the learning and teaching building has been there. Having writable surfaces is critical. And those writable surfaces on the tables, on the walls, having the document camera zooming in, there are actually the capacity for a student to hold up their mobile phone, put it in a place and say, I'll just check this website out. Let's share it with the class and have the document camera zoom in to that level of detail, the big screen, a device. And that level of having individuals be able to demonstrate an idea leads the technology in these spaces to be so flexible and also to enable breaking out and group collaboration work, change the way our academics are able to teach. And examples of that are you can have someone doing exercises on one side of the room, writing down a whole lot of theories, and someone on the other side of the room doing the same with a simple press of a button you can have your document cameras demonstrating that writable surface up on the big screens and then have the other person press the button and demonstrate theirs. And that level of collaboration and interaction is something that you've just never seen in older classrooms. So it, it provides more level of interactivity and innovation. And we haven't seen the academics use this as yet to all of the potential there is because our academics are innovative as well and they'll work out new ways of using this technology to create even better lesson plans as it evolves. How fantastic. Thanks, David. And Dinesh, David touched earlier on the workplace side of universities as opposed to the teaching spaces. Now, campuses have to provide both, obviously, but with the workplace element, how do you approach that differently to, say, city offices, which, you know, themselves are undergoing massive changes in light of more flexible working? And who makes up the university workforce? Through the projects we've been working on with Monash, um, the stakeholders in the, in the workplace arena, you know, are quite diverse. You know, so they may include a mix of academics, um, higher degree by research students. So these are master students. Um, there are sessional staff. Um, there are also professional staff. So, you know, I'd say that um, professional staff, you know, those that are supporting the administrative functions of the faculties and the schools, you know, they're probably more akin to what we might see in a corporate environment in that, you know, they're quite collaborative in how they operate. Um, generally, they require uh, to uh, interact with peers in, in a group um, format. And um, typically, the environments that they operate in tend to be a little bit more open and collaborative. And um, the other groups, such as academics, are obviously 
um, a little bit more diversified in the tasks that they're carrying out. So they might be carrying out a mix of research um, where they really do require to do focus work. Now that work can happen on site. It can also happen off site. Um, they're also um, undertaking supervision of, um, of students. Uh, and so um, that often does require um, sort of coaching and mentoring. Sometimes there are sensitive conversations that might need to be had. And um, in addition to that, there are also, you know, administrative tasks that they need to perform. So increasingly in this hybrid world, there might need to be preparation for online uh, coursework or material that needs to be carried out. Um, I also mentioned um, higher degree by research students. You know, they, they tend to be um, um, a sort of combination where they might be carrying out research, they might require supervision on site, but uh, academics and HDR students also have a little bit of flexibility in terms of how and why they, where they work. Um, and so, you know, um, the past couple of years has probably only amplified that, uh, but that, that sort of flexible and, and diverse way that they work, um, I think is something that was always uh, a work trait that they had. The experience that we've had is there tends to be a little bit more resistance to change, um, particularly in academia than in the corporate world. And um, to a large part, that's because um, the, I would say the, the, the nature of work and uh, maybe the cycle of change has been much faster in the corporate world than it might have been in academia. And, and therefore, um, you know, there can be sensitivities that some staff have, you know, to uh, workplace change. Right. So how do you deal with that and ensure you're giving the workforce the spaces that they really need? A really big part of that is taking the time to understand, you know, the changing nature of work, the changing nature of learning and, um, you know, how learning environments uh, are changing and adapting to accommodate. Um, now, in our industry, we have the privilege of seeing this firsthand, but sometimes the users of these environments don't have firsthand experience of how those things are evolving. So one of the big things that, um, you know, David and I have done on, on different projects is to make sure that we're bringing users along that journey, making sure that they're uh, experiencing, um, you know, how these environments are, are changing elsewhere, but also taking a first principles approach to, to saying, you know, how has work changed? Um, how have the expectations of your role changed and how may they evolve over time? And, and therefore, how can we best accommodate some of these changes and involve people in the process of conceiving their new work environments? If you try and blanket out a workplace model and you try and lump everyone together, you will lose your academic population straight away because there is a unique na nature to academia and that they are focus-based workers. And that is the difference between the professional staff. And at Monash, we're actually not trying to pull our academics out of offices. We understand and respect the type of work they're doing, and we're leaving them in those cellular environments. But what we are understanding is the individual focus that there's been in the past in academia, where they've been the single arbiters of knowledge, and they actually used to compete with each other for research grants. That's changed, and it's now become a collaborative focus. And it's, it's cooperation and innovation that drives that evolution and the growth for the faculties and the universities. So in creating that cooperative environment and creating those environments to support that, that's where the change comes through. 
We are using our work spaces and workplaces to attract the best of the best. And that involves not just the offices, but the research spaces and all of the supporting amenity, which comes down to things like retail. And that when you're in the office, that's one part of your workplace. But where you go and grab your coffee is another part of the workplace. And where you can go and sit down and have a meal with someone else and collaborate is, again, another part of the workforce. What do you think some of the biggest challenges facing universities are? One of the biggest ones is clearly the environment right now. And it's such a core focus. You know, we hear all these stories right now around insurers just they were insuring for a one in a hundred storm that's happening a couple of times a year now. And what's becoming the new norm is going to impact on the way we live and work on a regular basis. So you know, we, we can never crystal ball and we all try to, but the idea of doing research to best understand and mitigate those risks that are coming forward is what we're looking to do in a university sense. And in, in the planning sense in buildings as well, we're looking to do the same level of deep dive understanding so we have the best ability to pivot and change and have the most flexible environments to do that. Just adding to that, you know, I might just um, um, name a few themes. Um, So, for example, David touched on sustainability or um, climate change, you know, so obviously there are risks associated with that. And there's also um, regulatory change you know that might evolve off the back of that you know which may require organizations to have assets that are performing at certain benchmarks Um, there's financial risk as in every organization needs to manage this so for example over the past couple of years obviously there's been massive disruption in the education sector in terms of uh, international student impacts and um, and therefore you know many organizations i'm sure will be looking at um, creating a, um, a more resilient uh, basis where you know you're not um, you're not um, disrupted you know as significantly if, if such a thing was to happen in the future. Um, I think there's also technology disruption. You know, technology continues to evolve uh, at an accelerating rate, and there are real questions about you know, how um, learning environments may evolve in the future. You know, uh, will we see more immersive learning environments? Um, Will we enter the metaverse and be engaging in uh, learning in the virtual realm? What impacts will that have for the physical campus? Uh, And then, you know, I think there's also um, shifts or changes in workforce uh, expectations. You know, um, will we have workers on campus? Will we have a mix of sort of virtual workers across different geographies? And again, there are impacts from a campus perspective in terms of you know how we'd need to think about planning there. One of the big challenges with hybrid learning and hybrid work is it's a bit of an unknown as to how intensively the campus and campus buildings will be used in the future. Um, and so Uh, One of the things uh, we're seeing, and um, JLL is actively involved in rolling out with our clients, is new kinds of technologies, sensor technologies, for example, that allow you to monitor how buildings are being occupied over time. And I think this is a really important piece because we know that 
organisations uh, and schools and faculties, their requirements will change over time. People come, people go, headcount fluctuates. And so it's really important to understand the dynamics, not just over the course of a year, but over the course of a month or a week or a day. Because if you can understand those patterns, it can allow you to ensure that you're creating a vibrant work environment and campus environment for people, but it can also ensure that you're optimising your assets. Thank you both for some really great insights there. Is there anything else you'd like to add on the topic of post-COVID university campuses before we wrap up? Probably one thing I'll bring up, it's that understanding that the end user is one part of your customer segment. So when we were looking at this piece of work, one thing that was critical was that we were trying to get a solution that co-designed with our academic population as the users, but they are part of the faculty and they're part of the business. And we need the faculty itself to also be aligned with this. And then the faculty is a part of the university and the faculty's business needs to be aligned with the university's business. But between those three customers of the university, the faculty, and the individual people, there's always going to be distinct changes and differences in the way they think. Alignment behind those three is critical. And it was a pathway that we took as well around ensuring we had strategic alignment between the individuals, the faculty, and the university. And so having something that we were able to make sure ticked the boxes of all of those three key stakeholders was also a key part of the success of the project and a key part of success of any project as well. Definitely. Thank you, David, and thank you, Dinesh, for shedding some light on the evolving campus experience. You're listening to JLL's Perspectives podcast, and I'm Rebecca Kent. Thanks for listening. 